Funding for The Spark is provided by Capital Blue Cross, focused on creating a healthier future for our communities through innovations like Capital Blue Cross Connect Health and Wellness Centers, which provide in-person services and inspire healthy living. Learn more at CapitalBlueCross.com. The Spark is also supported by UPMC, offering a broad range of cardiac and vascular treatments in our community. More information is available at upmc.com slash centralpaheart. Welcome back to The Spark. I'm Scott Lamar. 240 years after the end of the American Revolution, the history we hear about is often just a thumbnail sketch. Declaration of Independence, Washington crossing the Delaware, Valley Forge, and victory at Yorktown. That history seems to be fading. Along those lines, one of the heroes of Americans in America independence doesn't get the attention today that he deserves. The Marquis de Lafayette is remembered for coming to America as a 20-year-old and helping to bring France into the war. But Lafayette was so much more, including spending a lot of time in central Pennsylvania. Author Bruce Malday has written a book about Lafayette's role called Lafayette at Brandywine, The Making of an American Hero. Bruce Malday is with us today on The Spark. Mr. Malday, welcome to the program. Scott, thank you so much, and I'm so glad that you asked me to come on. Um, first of all, your show's great, and I've had a lot of people tell me how much they've enjoyed being interviewed by you in the past. And um, to talk about Lafayette, he's really a forgotten hero. I just had a discussion where somebody called him the rock star of the <laughs> early 1800s without the attitude. And I think that's so correct. He did so much to win, help us win our American independence. And, you know, as I go around and talk about my book, people have heard the name Lafayette kind of rolls off your tongue. And, and but you go beyond the monuments or Lafayette, the university, the college, and they don't really know exactly what he did. And I think that is a shame. That is a lost part of our history history that we need to get back. I would agree with the rock star part after reading your book, especially. But what inspired you to write the book? Why did you want to write about Lafayette? Well, it started out, um, I was on the board of the Brandywine Battlefield Park Associates, and uh, I actually got started in history and writing when my grandmother gave me some newspaper clippings from the Civil War that were written by my great-great-great-grandfather. I think I have the greats right there. So I was always interested in writing in history, and um, the Battle of the Brandywine and the State Park was just down the road, and I became interested in I was uh, working at a newspaper, the Daily Local News at that point, and found a firsthand account of somebody who wrote with Pulaski and Washington at Brandywine, and I thought I'd just do a little newspaper column and um, figured out that there was not a book written on the battle itself. So five years later, in a trip from London, I had a book, the first really long look at the Battle of the Brandywine called September 11, 1777 the date of the battle. And I included some things about Lafayette, but I, I didn't dwell on him. And after I finished the book, of course, we all like to find out what was the best thing that happened to us, even this great defeat at Brandywine. And Lafayette was not mentioned from the people I interviewed. And I thought about it and I thought about it. And it really just kind of grated on my mind. And I tell people books tell me to write them, and that's exactly what happened here. Lafayette just kept 
coming into my mind. And I started looking and I said, wow, you know, look what he did to help us win. And as I backtracked it, where he really proved himself was at Brandywine when he was wounded. You know, Washington had a lot of European generals, most of them not that great. They didn't really help that much. Um, but here was a young Frenchman who was 20 years old at the Battle of the Brandywine as he started and actually departed France when he was 19 and he had escaped the king even to help us to get, you know, to, to get here. And here was this guy that was sort of unknown in the morning of September the 11th, but by the afternoon, when he volunteered to go up and try to stop the route and got off his horse and he was shot through the leg, he, he spilled his blood to help us get our freedom. And that's what really proved him. And that got him on the road to becoming the American hero that, that he is today. I do want to talk about uh, Lafayette and what he did during the American Revolution after Brandywine. But uh, he had quite a life even before uh, coming to America. And as you said, the French king didn't want him to come to America. What was Lafayette's life like before coming to America? Well, his father died in uh, the Battle of the Seven Years' War, and a French artillery shell killed him when, when Lafayette was you know, a youngster, two years old. Uh, he was brought up by his, really his aunts, his grandmothers, nieces. He was around uh, the women in the family really brought him up. Mother did, but mother spent a lot of time in Paris. Both uh, his mother and father came from families that were fairly well off, known in the court. So, you know, he, was, he wasn't a product of, of the streets of Paris by any, any means. And all of a sudden, his mother died when he was a young teenager, and he turned out to be one of the richest people in France. You know, at an early age, like 13, 14, he now had great wealth, and his uh, grandfather pretty much controlled his life. He was from a militaristic background. As I said, his father was in the French army and he started to get some military training. He was one of the musketeers, one of the famous musketeers, the, the King's Guard at an early age. Um, and of course, this was at a time of arranged marriages. Most of them were not great, but his was. And uh, Adrienne turned out to be just a perfect match for him and her father was also very influential and got him a um, officership in the French army very early. So, you know, he, he's in his mid to late teens. He's married. He's got a daughter. He's in the army. And uh, he was accepted at court, um, told he was not a very good dancer. And that was one of the reasons he wanted to stay in the military life, uh, you know, being a a, a everyday member of court was not up to his liking. So he had a young teenager that was wealthy and wanted an adventure. And um, I think that's what it was when he heard about the American Revolution. That's a big question. Why did he decide to come to America? He was 19, had to basically escape from France to get to America. But why did he want that adventure? You know, I, it's really, you know, I wish I could pinpoint something he said or did. You know, I think we all got to surmise a little bit. And I think it was a little bit of his upbringing. 
know, he was taught to respect women and, and everybody. And he, and he really, from that point, all the way through his life, he, he was you know, individual freedom and you know, independence. So that kind of, I think, was instilled early. And he also, a little bit of this was the hatred of the, the, the British for killing his father. That, that was also in the mix and stayed with him during the whole war and, and his whole life. So he had a little bit of that all going on. And when he really heard the firsthand reports was um, during a dinner that was put on by his commander, commanding officer, uh, and the guest that day was the brother of the King of England, who during dinner conversation told about these, these upstart colonists who are rebelling against his brother and isn't that awful. But Lafayette, I'm sure, was silently shaking his head and saying, no, that's good. That's what I've embraced. I want, I think everybody ought to have this free and independent and be able to think and choose for themselves. And that's when he really embraced it. Um, we talked a little bit earlier about the king not wanting to come over, which was true, but not for the reason you think. Um, you know, he was not, the king was not supporting England at all, but the king was worried that if Lafayette or he, another member of his court or royalty came out in favor of the colonists, that would start another war with France, and they just weren't strong enough. They'd just been beaten. They had lost, of course, possessions, uh, you know, Canada. Um, they, they were strapped for money, arms. They were just not strong enough to take on England again. So even though they were silently rooting for us um, they and, and had talked with Silas Dean, representatives of the French government, and, and they had given us some surplus, you know, weapons and, and other uh, military and civilian kind of help, but they weren't ready to come out in front to help us. So what the king didn't want, it was Lafayette to say, hey, look, I'm a French aristocrat, and I'm here to help the colonists. He would rather have uh, Lafayette stayed until they were ready to join the fight. Our guest today is Urs Malte, who is the author of the book Lafayette at Brandywine, The Making of an American Hero. We're talking about Marquis de Lafayette. And the book is more, it's about more than just uh, Lafayette at Brandywine. That's kind of a starting point. Uh, it's, a lot of it is a biography of the Marquis de Lafayette. Uh, so when Lafayette is wounded at Brandywine, George Washington, the commander-in-chief, uh, the commander of the army, the Continental Army, didn't know uh, Lafayette, and in fact, had not had uh, very good experiences with a lot of the foreign fighters that had come from Europe to help the American cause. But Lafayette became very close to George Washington. How did that happen? Well, I think a little bit, uh, Scott, is Lafayette himself. He, he was, you know, a people person, I guess you can say, that he was friendly. He made friends easily. He had this drive, he had determination. It was also a little bit naive, I think, and that, that kind of helped him kind of blend in um, a little bit. And so he really wanted to help us. And actually, you're right about George Washington. Before Lafayette came to uh, present himself to Congress, Washington had told Congress, no more European generals. They cost us money. They don't speak the language. They can't raise troops. And my generals have been fighting with me for all these months. They're now outranked by these people who are not helping us. 
don't give me, don't approve any more submissions. So Lafayette, when he first showed up in Philadelphia, they said, young boy, go home. We don't want you. Washington doesn't want you. But Lafayette had that drive, that determination, and he, he, he wouldn't go home. Uh, some of his officers that showed up with him were ready to go home the next day, but he wouldn't. He persevered, and he had some influential friends, including Ben Franklin, who went to bat for him and basically told Congress, look, he's a volunteer. He doesn't even want pay. He's well-known in France. We need French support, and he's rich. We're poor. He's willing to spend some of the fortune. What are you guys doing turning him away? And some of that kind of sunk in with Congress and they talked Washington into accepting him on his staff. Washington at first thought it was just an honorary kind of uh, appointment and that, you know, young boy, go dress up in whatever uniform you want and stand over there and we'll <laughs> fight the war. That was not what Lafayette had in mind. He said, where's my troops? I'm ready to fight. Let's get on with it. And it took Washington back a little bit, but they came close, as you said, uh, Lafayette was made a member of Washington's staff. And I think it, there was a great devotion there because later on, when Washington was having a lot of trouble with Congress and members of his own staff that were out to get him, other officers in the Continental Army, Lafayette would always had his back. And Lafayette always supported George Washington. And I think you know, you put all that together and that's how some people call it a father-son relationship. It was probably pretty close. They were really close by the end. Lafayette was involved in some of the most significant campaigns of the revolution, all the way to victory at Yorktown. He really, you really don't hear a whole lot about Lafayette's role, but he was a military commander in a lot of the, 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 some of the key victories, or I should say key battles in uh, the American Revolution. Yeah, he, you know, he commanded troops. He almost was the, the, the commander of Monmouth right after the Valley Forge and uh, General Lee stepped in and took it away from him. Um, but as he went on, as he gained experience, Washington really, really put more emphasis on him, gave him more responsibility. And um, towards the end of the, the first fighting season for him, he uh, went back to, to France to help the, get the French king to recognize it. But when he came back, he was with Washington when the French forces, and he, he was the one that kind of smoothed over any difficulties. He was with Washington at West Point when uh, the great traitor uh, tried to give away West Point to um, to the British, and actually Washington sent uh, Lafayette to Virginia. And one of the directives was, if you find that Benedict Arnold just hanging, don't worry about niceties, don't worry about a trial. He's the great Satan, and he was the great traitor. Just go ahead and do it. And uh, he entrusted him enough that we were having trouble in the South, and Washington was always kind of focused on New York City where General Clinton was, and that's where he was putting his main emphasis, but he knew we had problems down south, and uh, he sent General Green down there to help out, And but he needed somebody in Virginia, and who did he select? George, or George Washington selected Lafayette, gave him some men, he didn't have much. Um, Anthony Wayne, uh, another Pennsylvania general, was uh, supposed to 
get more troops and Wayne had trouble raising any more troops because there was no money to pay anybody. So Lafayette was down there basically by himself and some militia and was told, look, you got to keep Cornwallis at bay. Don't get in a major fight. It will clean your clock. Uh, but you know, do what you can to contain him. And that's how you know, the Yorktown campaign really kind of started. Hmm. You know, one of the things that uh, struck me in your book was how much Lafayette traveled throughout central Pennsylvania, York, Lancaster, Reading, Lebanon, all these places. Of course, all these places played a role in the American Revolution. But while the fighting was going on, Lafayette was traveling to these places as well. Absolutely. Um, actually, the, the first winter after he was wounded, he, he, of course, went to Bethlehem and got treated and, and rejoined Washington back in Valley Forge. And some of Washington distractors were trying to get Washington out, and they could recognize Lafayette was a big asset to Washington. They decided that maybe we ought to send the young Frenchmen to invade Canada which was an awful idea in the middle of a winter, but um, they, they really were setting him up to fail. So he again traveled to York, where Congress was to get his orders. And um, you know he didn't really want to do it, but Washington said, you're an officer's army. You've been commanded by the war board. You got to do it. So you know he spent some time that first winter there with him. And uh, as he was traveling down later before went to Virginia, he kind of you know came in came in our area there before he, he headed south and, and got to Virginia. So you know he was in and out a lot here up in New York State. You know he was all over New New England and then uh, down in Virginia too. So he traveled a whole lot uh, during his tour of duty here in the American Revolution. During and after the war, Lafayette was held in high esteem in the new United States. He was considered a true American hero. Why? I mean, talk about or describe, especially when we're talking about this memory fading of how Lafayette became such a, an esteemed American hero. Uh, great. And you, you look at everything he did. You know, he came over, he defied his king. You know, he was 19 when he set sail. He was 20 when he was wounded at Brandywine. He put his life on his line. He spent his money. He didn't ask for anything back. You know, he was in the forefront of everything. He defended Washington. Um, you know, he, he was just every place in his contributions, anywhere from keeping Washington in charge, forgetting the France to become our ally, because without France, we wouldn't have beaten the English. I mean, we needed especially their Navy because the, the British Navy was so important. And we really wouldn't have had the French help or at least the amount that we had without Lafayette. Lafayette was one of our greatest uh, cheerleaders. Uh, you know, he, he was over there and he was the one that really, I think, talked to King when he did to come support us. And then you had Yorktown, the last major battle of the American Revolution. And it was Lafayette that kind of you know, kept sniping at uh, Cornwallis and forced Cornwallis back to the shore. And when he informed Washington what was going on, Washington eventually got word to him, said, don't let him get inland because I'm on my way with the French Army and Navy. And part of the Navy was coming up out of the uh, French Indies. And uh, 
Lafayette did exactly what he did. He kept them there and, you know, he was always wanted to be in the forefront and at Yorktown, some of his troops were the ones that defeated the British in the last kind of defenses before the capitulation of Cornwallis. So, and even afterward, when the, um, the peace treaty looked like it might be in trouble, Lafayette was there hammering the, the Spanish saying, you need to help, you need to sign this treaty. Don't think about doing another war over this. Mm. So there, there was all these things together. We have about two minutes left. I want to thank you very much for being with us today. Lafayette's tour of the United States in 1824-1825 was that of a conquering hero. How would you describe that? I mean, you would not see that today. There was nobody around that would have gotten this. Um, President Monroe thought we ordered, we really needed to do something for him. You had the 50th anniversary of the country coming up. Congress said, bring him over as our national guest. And it was just amazing day after day. He was only supposed to be here for four months, but New York City, thousands and thousands, all the way up through New England, Boston, Philadelphia, Washington, people just showed up. They, they wanted to greet him. They, they stood in the rain to come up to see him. They, they you know, speeches, dinners, everything. And at the end of that uh, year, he was going to go back. And every other state said, you can't go back. We want you to visit. So he extended it for a total 13 months. It was like this day after day. You, you know, it just must have been amazing. Huh. You're right. I, I don't think that we would see anything like that today. And uh, it's it's uh, it really is amazing that Lafayette's memory is fading somewhat. But uh, you can learn a lot about the Marquis de Lafayette in Bruce Mounday's new book, Lafayette at Brandywine, The Making of an American Hero. Bruce Mounday, thank you very much for being with us today. Scott, thank you. Thank you for inviting me, and uh, I, I enjoy being with you. So thank you. I'm Scott Lamar. Have yourself a great day.